And I'd like you to turn in your Bibles with me this morning to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 7. The title of our discussion this morning is Christian Contentment. Christian Contentment. If you're like me, you may at times look back on your life and wonder what you would do differently if you could go back and live your life all over again. What would you do differently? If you could go back, hit the start button again, and change your life. If you're not aware of it yet, there is no such button that you can go back and push, although many live in a prison hoping to find the button that will restart their life. Would you choose the same career, the same college, or not going to college? Would you choose the same mate? Would you marry at all? Would you live where you live? Would you buy the same house? Would you choose the same friends? How would your life be different if you could go back and hit the restart button? Many people live in the trap of the if-only syndrome. For some, it's an innocent diversion. For some, it is not a game. It is a trap in which they live their life. Constantly asking how different things would be. If only I had a better job, a better paying job, if I was married or wasn't married. If I hadn't gotten ill. Trapped and ensnared by events that God has not placed under our control. The passage of Scripture that we're going to look at this morning is a call to Christian contentment. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 17. Nevertheless, each one should retain the place in life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. Verse 20. Each one should remain in the situation which he was in when God called him. Verse 24. Brothers... Each man, as responsible to God, should remain in the situation God has called him to. Now, we know from the text that there is a struggle on the part of individuals in the church in Corinth. For some, the struggle, verses 1-16, through 16, is the issue of their marital status, or lack of marital status. For some, it is that they, in the Roman Empire, are a slave and have come to faith in Christ. For some, it is concerns about their ethnic origin, whether they are Jew or Gentile, and they are wrestling with the ramifications and outcomes of those situations and circumstances in their life. The Apostle Paul, fascinating, responds under the inspiration of God, commitment is essential to a God-glorifying, God-exalting life. Be happy with where God has you. Find joy in the circumstances that God has brought into your life. He's in control. This morning, the, I believe the, the overwhelming theme or force of this passage leads towards this concept of Christian contentment. That every believer, which is, I believe, Paul's audience in this text, has a reason to find contentment in their circumstances because they serve a God who is bigger than their circumstances. The problem that all of us face is we invest our circumstances with too much power, with too much authority, with too much influence. 
We invest them with so much authority that we end up de-godding God. We live as slaves to circumstance and situations and the choices of those around us. God has called us to freedom in Christ. He doesn't want us to live with the if-only syndrome. Not if it's a game, not if it's dead serious. God wants us as His children to embrace the life-setting that we were in when He called us so that we may glorify Him in that setting. Verse 17, the second half of the verse says, Keeping God's commands is what counts. Each one should remain in this... Or verse 19, I'm sorry. Each one, verse 20, should remain in the situation which he was in when God called him. Now, if you go back to chapter 1, you're going to find between five and seven times the word called is used, clearly speaking about when individuals came to see their sin, were released from their sin by faith in Jesus Christ, God sovereignly working in that salvation conversion experience. You can go back to Romans chapter 8 and verse 30. Those that God called, He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son. The call is out of darkness into light, out of sin into saving grace. So the thrust or emphasis of this passage is towards people who have come into a personal relationship with God and are trying to figure out, how do I live out my Christian faith given the circumstances that I'm in? Some wanted to get out of their marriage. Paul's saying, that's not an option. Trust God with your circumstances. Some wanted to buy their way out of slavery. Paul says, if you can, that's fine. But your slavery does not mean that you cannot serve Christ in that position. For those that were Jew or Gentile, in which they were one thing or the other. Paul's saying, don't seek a change. You can honor. God is bigger than your circumstances. The thrust of what Paul's saying here is that Christians... Believers in Christ who have been delivered by His grace should be characterized by a degree of contentment that is unique. They should cast off the if-only game and live confidently for the glory of God. And I believe that this passage lays out, if you will, three, in a sense, keys to contentment, truths that if you embrace them, they will begin to kind of lift the cloud of darkness off your life and give you a capacity to love and enjoy God in spite of your situation and circumstances. Verse 17, just to reiterate this verse, Paul says, Nevertheless, each one should retain the place in life that the Lord assigned to him and to which God called him. Fascinating, isn't it? Paul did not need to say that twice. But he does. Retain the place that God assigned to you. Retain the place that God called you to. Sounds a little bit something like this, doesn't it? That God is sovereignly in control of every circumstance in your life. Some of you are thinking, you've got to be kidding me. Why? Because every circumstance in your life is not a cause for joy. But this text asserts that God is God everywhere. In every life in every circumstance, even when I as a pastor get the question from people, how could God? You know what Job's answer was, let God be God and every man a liar. Let God be who He says He is. Don't assume that because you can't see a reason for the circumstances in your life that they don't have a reason. You're not that good. God has sovereign purposes. And He puts us in places, in situations, in relationships, in marriages, in jobs, in physical 
struggles for purposes that he is working out for his glory in the lives of surrendered believers. The first thought from verse 17 that I want to leave you with you this morning is this. Stay where God has put you until God moves you. Stay where God has put you until God in his sovereign grace moves you. If I was to put that in one word, I would give you this word, trust. 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 Trust God with the circumstances that He has placed you in. Be committed to stay there until He moves you. The word assigned, the situation He's assigned you to, literally means to distribute to individuals. To be ordained by God. Whatever circumstance He has sent your way, whatever, if you will, card He has dealt to you, Embrace it and say, God, show me your glory in this circumstance that I would not have chosen. And I've listed for you the three circumstances. In each of the three cases, the marital status, the ethnic status, and the social status, the individuals are thinking, if I can get out of these circumstances, then I can serve God more effectively. Which is a shot against the sovereignty of God. And against the wisdom of God in allowing that circumstance to come in to our lives. Your circumstance is part of His sovereign plan. Stay there. Your circumstances are not the result of fate and of mistakes that you have made, but are ultimately part of a bigger plan. I am not in saying that ruling out the effect of personal choices that are made. They have consequences. But the God that you serve is bigger than those choices. Folks, that's the thing that we struggle with, isn't it? That's why if you go back a few verses, he's talking about the context of marriage. People wanting to get out of their marriage because they think, I could serve God more effectively if I was in a different setting. And God's response is, I allowed you to get into that setting. I designed for you to be in that setting. And I will show you my glory in that setting if you are willing to follow and honor me. It is indeed, isn't it, an issue of faith? When Job can look at God and say, you give and you take away, blessed be your name. I would not receive the circumstances of Job. If God said to him, can I do that to your life? My answer would be, Lord, no, thank you. But Job, in the midst of that circumstance, can say, God is good. When things are good from a human perspective. And when from a human perspective, things are difficult. God is good. He is bigger. He is better. He is stronger. Don't invest your circumstances with authority and power that go beyond. Understand that God is sovereign over. And He wants you and I to trust Him in all of those things. Your academic ability is from God. Your athleticism or lack of it is from God. Your appearance or lack of it is from God. The kind of family you were raised in that you would like to change is from God. That is one of the hardest truths to accept. Even the Savior in His human form struggled with this issue, didn't He? Father, if it is possible, let this cup, which meant circumstance of the cross, pass from me. Nevertheless, more than anything else, I want your will done in my life. And through that embrace of the difficult, our salvation is made possible and is secured through the shed blood of Christ.
Folks, whatever it is, whatever the circumstance is that you just keep fighting with the if-only syndrome, what God is saying is, I'm sovereign, I am above, I am bigger than, I am in control of your circumstances, and I have distributed them according to my sovereign, ultimately kind purpose. Stay where you are until God moves you. And if you have a commitment to say, God, I will stay here until you move me, it will cultivate contentment in your life. You know why? Because you'll be saying, God, I am accepting this situation that I would not choose because it is from you. And be bold. Say, God, that's the only reason I am willing to accept this situation. Because I believe it is from you. I believe that you are sovereign. And I'm going to stay in this situation until you demonstrate by the work of your spirit or through your word that you want me to move. Accept them and say, God, what are you seeking to do in my life? Not what are you doing, but God, what are you seeking to do? What is it that you want to accomplish in my life? Most of you know that my nephew about 10 months ago was paralyzed. 24 years old, recently married, quadriplegic. Haven't heard him ask why. Haven't heard him complain. Now, that doesn't mean he hasn't struggled with that. But the overwhelming desire of Kyle's heart is to say, God, use this. Use this circumstance that I would not have chosen to bring glory to your name. Why? Because God is bigger than that. Folks, some of the greatest stories in life that you will ever hear are born out of struggle, not out of good circumstances, but out of situations that turned in someone's life that caused great loss and great sorrow and great despair. When we come to realize that God's in control, we realize that all of the circumstances are being orchestrated by God, ultimately for His glory. There is nothing... God never is in heaven wringing His hands, wondering, oh, what do I do? They did that. I can't believe they did that. What do it? No. He, he's bigger than that. He's not surprised by the difficult things that people have done to you in your lifetime. And He can work through those circumstances for His glory, even though I find that harder to believe than it is to say. Some of you this morning may say, well, my life's pretty messed up. How can I come to God? How can I come to a personal relationship with Christ? Understand this. God starts with you where He finds you, where He calls you. And where you are is not a surprise to him. It's not bigger than him. He can deal with it and he can handle it. The second thought I want to leave with you comes from verse 19. Paul says this. Second half, he says, keeping God's commands is what counts. Now, he's following off on a discussion about ethnic markings and, if you will, uh, kind of racial status or standing. Discussion is circumcision, which makes someone a Jew. And the uncircumcised are Gentiles. And there were some in the church thinking, I wish I was this, or I wish I was that. Paul's saying, accept the status you were in when God called you. The thrust of the text then moves on into, into the rest of the verse by saying, what matters, what matters most, what counts, is keeping God's commands. Not the externals. Okay, we get all caught up in the externals, in legalistic rules. But what is Paul saying? What matters most in regards to contentment is a commitment to obeying God in any and all circumstances. And when you make that the decision of your heart, it will take away from you a lot of ambivalence that people struggle with. 
If in every circumstance you have one response, and that is, what do I need to do in this situation to be a follower of Jesus Christ? It will bring greater contentment into your life. Why? It will narrow down the options. And will bring moral clarity to your life. And bring to you, I guarantee you this, a greater degree of contentment than you have if you live with moral ambiguity. Hence, Paul can go back and talk about the issues of moral purity. What is he saying? If you have a commitment to moral purity, it will take stress out of your life. You won't be dating someone who calls you to sacrifice purity for their pleasure. That decision will be eliminated. Why? Because I've chosen to hook up with, spend time with someone who loves God. You know what that does? That'll bring contentment to your relationships. It'll bring contentment in your marriage. It'll bring contentment in your workplace. If the abiding principle is this, obeying God is what matters most. It will eliminate confusion from your life. It will anchor your life. And it will bring to you a level of stability and commitment that will cause you to rejoice more greatly in God. <clears throat> in verse 21, Paul reiter- or in verse 20, he reiterates, each one should remain in the situation he was in when God called him. Verse 21, then he jumps right into a social situation. Were you a slave when you were called? Because slavery was in the Roman world common, much more like employment, a little bit, more like, a little bit like slavery, but much more like empo- employment than what we know today. And Paul says to this person, were you a slave when God called you? Meaning, were you the personal property of someone else? And I love what he says. Don't let that bother you. Don't let it trouble you. Don't let it get your heart all twisted up in knots. Because they're thinking, if I am a slave to a master, how can I obey God as my master? Do you see the tension? And then Paul gives this little caveat in there. He says, by the way, if you can gain your freedom without a lot of stress and a lot of struggle and confusion in your life, gain your freedom. But don't think that being a slave eliminates the possibility of living for the glory of God. This is what is he saying? Don't look at your circumstances and invest them with God-denying authority. Okay? You can honor God no matter what your circumstances in life, as long as it, as it is not intentionally immoral. You can honor God in any circumstance. We think, well, if I had this job, if I was married to this person, if I went to this school, if I ended up at that college, and we start battling, what matters most? Paul says what matters most is a life yielded to obedience to God. Circumstances do not prevent obedience to Christ. However, circumstances may make it harder to obey Christ, right? Sometimes obeying Christ will be very costly. For some people, it has meant losing their job. For some, it has meant losing a boyfriend or girlfriend because they said, I am more committed to God than I am to you. You should die for that kind of a friend. God, give me that kind of a friend. When I was dating my wife, one of the things I was looking for was someone who was more concerned about the glory of God than my happiness. Why? Because if she's more concerned about the glory of God than she is about my happiness... I don't have the best wife that I could ever want. So we flip it around. We flip it around. God is saying obedience to me is what matters most in any and all circumstances. Commitment to obedience is at the heart of the Christian life. And when there is disobedience, I can guarantee you there is always a lack of contentment. There is a struggle with the circumstances. But when you trust God and say, God, I'm going to obey you no matter what. That is the commitment of my heart. It will bring into your life a God-honoring, God-exalting degree of contentment. Some people say it this way. They say, grow where God planted you. Ever heard that statement? 
You know, you're you know, just complaining, the circumstances, this, 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 this. And a godly friend reminds you of this passage. Your circumstances don't eliminate the ability to obey and honor God. So do it for His glory. And let me say this also. If you are waiting for a perfect, trouble-free setting, for time to obey and serve God before you serve God, I'm going to tell you something. You never will. You never will. If in your current season of life, you don't find time to please and serve God, to obey Him, you never will. We have all kinds of excuses for why we can't obey God, serve God now. You know what Paul says? Paul says what matters most is obeying God. Serving God in the context of your marriage. Honor Him with your children. Honor Him. Look, your opportunities are fleeting. They are passing so quickly. Take time. Get God in your life. Get serving God in your life. Don't wait. Oh, when I'm done college, I will. Not if you're not doing it now. You won't. Well, when our kids get older, then. No, you won't. You won't. Trust me, if obedience to God is not the deepest heart commitment in your life, you'll never get it straight. His circumstances are sovereign in your life. And His circumstances that He brings, not the ones we bring, but the ones that He brings, always allow time for obedience to Him in every area of our lives. In every area. That is the joy, that is the contentment of saying, I am committed to obeying Him. Paul says, hey, obedience to God is what matters most. I want you to flip over to verse 29 then. And I'm just going to skip this one section. I've already alluded to some of these things. Go to verse 29. Because Paul's continuing this discussion about contentment. He says, what I mean, brothers, is that the time is short. Paul lived with a consciousness of the soon appearing of his Savior, Jesus Christ. That consciousness affected Paul's decision making. And gave him certain perspectives in three particular areas in life. And the, the thrust of verses 29 through 31, I'm going to read them. They're a little bit difficult, but the thrust of them is this. If you are blessed maritally, circumstantially, and materially, okay, if you're blessed in your relationships, if you're blessed in the circumstances that you are in, if you're blessed in regards to material things, Paul has something to say to you about contentment. And the thrust of what he's going to say is this. If you are blessed... Relationally, circumstantially, and materially. Do not trade the joy of God for those temporal pleasures or relationships. Okay? Don't trade. Don't... If you're married, okay, for instance, don't put on your mate the burden of bringing the joy that only God can bring. You follow what I'm saying? Don't expect them to provide in your life what only God really can provide. Because you will put on them an enormous, unbearable burden to be your joy in life. They can't be. They will bring great happiness in your life. But joy comes from God. So Paul, with that as a setting, says this. What I mean, brothers, is that time is short from now on. Those who have wives should live as if they had none. Ouch! Ladies, you love that verse, right? I'm going to memorize that. Okay, what is Paul? Paul's drawing out a comparative analogy. Notice he goes further. Those who mourn as if they did not. Okay, I lose someone in my life who is extremely close. What does Paul mean? Here's what he means. Don't invest the circumstance 
with eternal consequence. There's something bigger at stake in your life than the current circumstance. Those who are happy as if they were not. Meaning, don't invest circumstances with huge significance and with huge capacity to alter the trajectory of your life. God controls the trajectory of your life. So if you're married, live for God as if you weren't. It will mean then that I love my wife in a way that's going to honor God. But in a way that understands that my relationship with my wife on the day that we got married, we planned to end it. What did we say? Till death parts us. What were we acknowledging on the day that we committed to each other in a permanent way? We were saying, this relationship is what? It's hard to even say it, isn't it? It's temporary. It's temporary. And if I die, go to the end of the chapter. What does he say? She's free to remarry someone else. Now, she'll never find someone as good. So, <laughs> no, just kidding. But what is he saying? He, he's saying everything. The relationships you have in your life. The circumstances that totally bum you out and keep you caught up in the if-only syndrome and trap. They're temporary. And he goes on to talk about possessions in a way that I think is exceedingly powerful. Notice what he says. Those who buy something as if it was not theirs to keep. So if you ever buy a Saturn sky, okay, treat it as if it is not yours. It can be mine. Okay? That's the application of that verse, okay? Those who use the things of this world as if not engrossed in them. Why? Because Peter later says, this world is temporal. It is passing away. It was not created by God to be eternal. God has a plan for a new heaven and a new earth in which dwell righteousness. In which death will never occur. In which there will be no cause for tears. What is he doing? What is Paul doing? Paul's saying this. Be blessed by the relationships you have in your life. Love your wife. Love your husband. But remember the relationship is temporary. It's not as important as is your relationship to God. It's so hard for us to get. Those that are sad today, those that are happy today, don't cling to the circumstance because tomorrow it'll change. My wife came out to a car this morning that wouldn't start. She hit bad circumstances this morning called me because it was probably my fault. I, I probably left the lights on. I didn't tell her that yet. But be happy in any situation, dear. Okay? It's of God. Okay? God may be using me to speak to your life. I don't know. What is, what is he saying? Seeing then that all these things will be destroyed, what kind of people should we be? We should be people that love life. That, and, and there's other pastors I could say. Paul says, grieve with those that grieve and rejoice with those that rejoice. He's not saying deny emotions and circumstances that bring emotions, but don't invest them with God-denying power. Does that make sense? Your circumstances are going to change. You get a bad report today, you get a good report tomorrow. You're a good husband today, you're a bad husband tomorrow. Think It, it vacillates, that's life. And if you have stuff, one day you will leave it all behind. Those that use the things of this world, don't invest them with final authority because one day you will face a severe disappointment. You will die. And everything you have, you will leave behind. 
If you invest the things of this life with ultimate authority and capacity to bring satisfaction into your life, you are setting yourself up for severe disappointment. Because one day, either your things will be gone or your ability to enjoy them will fade. And if you've invested them with being your source of contentment, you'll live a frustrated life and you will die an unhappy man or woman. Paul is so kind here. God is so kind to inscripturate for us a call to obedience, a call to understand the sovereignty of God, a call not to invest circumstances and things and relationships with final consequence. It's all going to change. The glory of God is what matters most. I believe it's why Paul, at the end of the book of Galatians, would say something like this. God forbid that I should glory in anything like a glory in the cross of Christ. I am, in my marriage, I am blessed. I am so blessed with the wife that loves God and fears Him. I love my kids. I love where I live. But if I invest those things with final authority, with ultimate consequence, making a bad choice, why? Because one day, one day our marriage is going to end. One of us is going to come to the end of their life, probably not at the same time. One day the kids grow up and they're gone. Serving God, Paul says, obeying God is what matters most. And it will bring a joy and contentment in your life. And Paul, for that reason, could say this, God forbid that I should glory in my wife, in my kids, in my circumstance, in my possessions. God forbid that I would glory in anything like I glory in the cross of Christ. Why? Because the effect of the cross of Christ is what we will celebrate in eternity. For eternity, what we will say is, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive glory and honor and power and blessing. Why? Because he purchased with his blood people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. Folks, you want to find contentment? Find it at the foot of the cross. Where an eternal, unshakable relationship with God begins. A relationship that will never end. Paul can't say Christians as if they were kind of Christians. Not what he says is no, you Christians, you... You that have hope in Jesus have the greatest joy in life. Because what you have will never fade away. That's why Paul says, boast in other things, but never, never like you do in the cross of Christ. The world around us should see people that love their wives, but don't invest their, their marriage with final authority. They should see people who care for their material possessions in an appropriate way, but are not, are, are not engrossed in the scheme of this world as if it is not going to pass away. Christians who don't react to circumstances as if it changes everything. Because they know it doesn't. They know that God is in control. And that God has expressed His control and love primarily and supremely through the cross of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads together this morning.